2 Kings chapter 2, we'll begin at verse 9. Let's read the word of the Lord together, shall we? When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. As they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the waters, they were divided here and there and Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Now, Lord, thank you for your presence and thank you for your touch. And I ask now that you will open our hearts that we may hear and receive what the spirit will say to us today in the midst of the preaching. I pray for that special touch of your anointing that makes preaching easy and powerful. Give me clarity of thought and of speech, I ask. Holy Spirit, move in the midst of this time, I pray. And I lift up to you other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you, that you draw them to a place of repentance. And I pray especially for our sons and daughters who have wandered away from the faith. They're walking a path, O oh Lord, that is away from you right now. I ask that you will arrest their hearts and that you'll send the Holy Spirit after them to draw them back to you, that not one of them will be lost. Father, I continue to pray for our nation. I pray for there to be healing in our land. Lord, it seems on every side that truth has become a precious commodity. And so many are trafficking in lies. I pray that lies will be exposed. I pray that truth will win out. I pray, oh Lord, that, that righteousness will prevail. I pray that the work of the Holy Spirit will be so strong in our churches that it will then spill out into the marketplace and a revival of righteousness yes. will spring up. I ask for that. I believe you for that. I thank you for that. I thank you for that. I pray all of these things today in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord and our soon coming King. Amen. Somebody just go ahead and say, praise the Lord, would you? Hallelujah. You may be seated.
Last Sunday, I made a statement in the message about the power of the Holy Spirit that is needed in order to stand against the pressure of this age. In that message, I said, if you want to keep from being crushed, then you need a force on the inside that is greater than the pressure coming against you from the outside. See, the greater the pressure from the outside, the stronger you need to be on the inside to keep from collapsing. There was an Old Testament prophet who understood the need for this power and was determined to do whatever was necessary in order to obtain it. The prophet's name was Elisha. Elisha, you remember, was a protege of Elijah. Uh, He hadn't gone looking for the job. In fact, when Elijah chose him to be his successor, Elisha was at the tail end of a group of people that were plowing a field. There were 12 pairs of oxen plowing, and Elisha was number 12 at the back of the line. Everybody else was kicking dust in his face. He wasn't, wasn't looking for a prophet's job. He, he was just trying to keep his nose out of the dust enough so that he could breathe. But Elijah came by one day under the leading of the Spirit of God and cast his mantle over the shoulders of Elisha, and Elisha was called into the ministry. Elisha was Elijah's helper and co-worker. He was the prophet in training under Elijah. He had seen God's hand of powerful anointing upon Elijah as this great prophet of God had boldly declared the word of the Lord, sometimes under the worst of conditions. Well, as he walked with Elijah and worked with Elijah and observed the hand of God upon the life of Elijah, He recognized a powerful anointing, and he knew that if he was going to fulfill the call of God upon his own life, he was going to need this same kind of power. Chapter 2 of the book of 2 Kings tells the steps in the process that Elisha went through in order to receive the power he needed. This story is also an illustration of the same process that you're going to have to travel if you're going to receive the power you need to live the overcoming life in this present world. One of the truths that fairly leaps out from this story is that you don't receive the spiritual power you need without intense desire and without desperate pursuit and without tenacious persistence. See, God isn't just going to dump it on you. You're going to have to want it. God's power comes when you recognize your desperate need. It comes when you refuse to be satisfied with any cheap imitation or pale substitute. It comes when you hunger and thirst and tenaciously hang on to the promise of God. It comes when you commit yourself to the process. As chapter 2 opens, Elijah is getting ready to leave this earth. Before his departure, he makes one last visit to the schools where people are studying and training to be prophets. It's like his farewell tour. The journey begins in a place called Gilgal. 
In the book of Joshua, chapter 5, the Bible records that Gilgal was the first place Israel camped after crossing the Jordan River into the promised land of Canaan. The command of the Old Testament law was that all the males of Israel were to be circumcised as a sign that they were full participants and partakers of God's covenant of blessing. However, during the 40 years that they were wandering in the wilderness, this practice had not been observed. And before Israel could inherit the promised land, they had to come into obedience with God's covenant. And this was done at Gilgal. The name Gilgal means the reproach is rolled away. It was at Gilgal where the people of Israel once more identified themselves as the covenant people of God. Through this rite of circumcision, the reproach of Egypt was rolled away and they once again entered into a covenant with the Lord. Gilgal speaks about the place where the things that are in opposition to the things of God are removed from your life. If you want to receive the spiritual power you need to live the overcoming life, you must begin by being separated from the world. You begin with what is called the new birth. You begin with entering into a covenant relationship with the Heavenly Father through faith in His only begotten Son, Jesus. The beginning place for the spiritual power that will release you from the bondage of destruction is to kneel at an altar of prayer and repent of your sins. The beginning place is for you to come to God just like you are. But you come through faith in Jesus. When you put your faith and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus as the only acceptable payment for sin, then you are declared righteous. Old things pass away. All things become new. Your sins are forgiven. You're given a brand new start. And it isn't because you earned it. It isn't because you deserve it. It isn't because you can do anything to merit it. But it's just because God loves you and his his grace is absolutely amazing. Gilgal is the place where you stop being identified with the world. It's the place where you are separated from sin unto God. It's the place where you make up your mind once and for all that you're going to belong to the Lord. No turning back. No continuing to dabble around in the things of this world. You're not in one day and out the next. You're not up one moment and down the next. But at Gilgal, you recognize your need for God. Then you fall on his mercy. And when you do, he comes to you and he touches you and imparts to you his divine nature of holiness. He declares you holy because when he touches you, then you become like him and whatever God touches becomes holy. That's where this process begins. If you want God's power, that's where it starts. And Elijah said to Elisha, why don't you just stay here? Stay here at Gilgal. But Elisha said, no way. <laughs> Absolutely not. <clears throat> Salvation is wonderful. I, I like having my sins forgiven. Anybody like having your sins forgiven? 
I like being touched by the presence of God. I like the reproach of sin being rolled away from my life so I don't have the guilt and I don't carry the shame anymore. I like being marked with the holiness of God. I like being identified as a partaker of God's covenant of blessing. Uh, oh, that's, all, that's, that's so wonderful. But, but, but I've seen something else. I have a desire for more of God. I want to walk in a greater dynamic of his grace and power than just being marked as part of the family of God. I'm not going to overcome the enemies if I just camp here at Gilgal. So I'm not going to stay at Gilgal when there's the possibility of something greater. Now, Now that's significant because there are a lot of good people who are content to just be saved. A lot of good people are satisfied just knowing that their sins are forgiven and they're on their way to heaven. I want to tell you, the assurance of sins forgiven is a liberating truth. The holiness of God imparted to your life is powerful. The release from guilt and shame is something too incredible to describe. But this story teaches that there is so much more. There is something greater. See, the call of God is always higher and broader and deeper and greater. If you want to experience all that God promises, you can't just camp around your salvation. You have to travel on. And the next step in the journey takes you in verse 2 of chapter 2 to Bethel. We are introduced to Bethel in chapter 28 of the book of Genesis. When Jacob left the land of Canaan to go back to his relatives in Paddan Aram in search of a bride, he stopped at Bethel and spent the night. The Bible says he used a stone for a pillow, and in the middle of the night, he had a dream about a ladder or a staircase set on the earth and its top reaching into heaven. There were angels ascending and descending on this staircase. In this dream, the Lord spoke to Jacob. It was a word of promise and a word of blessing. It was a confirmation of the blessing that had been spoken to his grandfather Abraham many years before. At the end of this dream, the Bible says in verse 16 of that chapter that Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. He said, God just took me by surprise. I wasn't expecting it, 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 and and suddenly I just found a place where God is, and I didn't even know he was around. Jacob named that place Bethel, which means house of God. He took the stone that had been his pillow and set it up as an altar. He poured oil over it, and he prayed, and he made a vow to God. Bethel is the house of God. It's the place of prayer. It's the place of worship. Bethel is the place where God meets with man and man meets with God. It's the place of divine promise. It's the place of divine blessing. Well, when you continue reading the narrative in Genesis, you discover that years later, the Lord spoke to Jacob again. And in response to that word of the Lord, Jacob announced, we're going back to Bethel. When Jacob received that call from God to go back to Bethel, he called all of his household together and they separated themselves, the Bible says, from the false idols that were among them. They made a fresh commitment. They were going to serve the Lord and they went back to this place of 
blessing, back to this place of divine encounter, back to this place of promise. When they arrived, Jacob had a fresh encounter with the Lord. He actually, it was so significant in his life, he actually renamed the place El Bethel. Before, it had been simply Bethel, the house of God. Now he calls it El Bethel, God of the house of God. And what Jacob discovered is that the really important thing isn't the place. As wonderful as the place was, as important as the landmark was in his life, he discovered it wasn't nearly as significant to revisit the house of God as it was to have a fresh encounter with the God of the house. I want to tell you, that's what somebody needs to have in this place today. You don't just need to come to the house of God. This is important. I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're online. But you need an encounter with the God of the house. You need to understand today that no sooner do you come from Gilgal, where sins are forgiven and the guilt and the shame and the reproach is rolled away, then God then wants to get you to a place of worship, the place of prayer, the place where he can meet with you and where he can bring promise and blessing to your life. When your sins are washed away and you're marked with the holiness of God, then God thinks it's important for you to spend time in fellowship with him. I'm trying to help somebody get the power you need. you got to spend time with the God of the house. It's important to separate yourself from the things of the world and focus on him and let him focus on you. I want to tell you this too. God has tremendous blessings he wants to pour out on those who gather in his house. He has tremendous promises he makes to those who separate from the things of the world and gather in his house. God will meet with you in his house. In fact, I would suggest to you that there are some powerful spiritual things that can only happen to you in his house. When you enter into his presence in worship, he will meet with you. He will touch you. It's in the house of God that you will have fresh encounters with the God of the house, and your life will never be the same. Uh, but, but understand something. God's blessings and God's promises of blessing and God's promises of help are not the anointing of his power. Being overwhelmed by his presence to the extent that you can't stand up anymore is an incredible experience. It's his touch but it isn't the same as receiving the anointing of his power. You mark it through the Bible. Watch this. When people are touched by God, they are often overwhelmed by his power. To the point that they fall on their face. They can't, they can't stand up. But when people are anointed by God, they are made to stand on their feet and they're sent out to do the work of God. We don't just need the touch of God. We need the anointing of God if we're going to make it in this day and age. See, too many are looking for the touch of God. But what God wants to do is anoint and fill you with his power. See, that, that's what's happening in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah had an awesome awareness of God. He said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his garments filled the temple. The seraphim surrounded the throne and they were crying, holy, holy, holy. And the doors were shaking at the majestic sounds of the angelic worship. The Bible says that Isaiah fell on his face. 
You know what happened? He had an incredible counter with the power and the majesty of God. And as a result, he couldn't stand up. But notice what happens next. The Lord sends one of those angels to the altar with tongs. And he takes a coal from the altar. And he brings that coal over and touches the lips of the prophet. You know what he's doing? He's anointing him. The Lord says, now, who can I send? Who's going to go for me? And then I... Then Isaiah stands up and says, here am I, send me. See, see, he couldn't do that when he just had the touch of God, when he had the encounter with God, when he had the revelation of God's glory. Oh, but when he had the anointing of God on his life, then he can go do something. He can move forward in the power of the Spirit that's on his life. That's what you've got to have. Oh, I love the touch of God. Woo! I feel the touch of God right now. But oh, it's so much more important to have the anointing of God to move forward. I'd love to stop right there, but, but we can't stop at Bethel. See, see, there are some people who are content to remain at Bethel. You know, sins are forgiven. They go to church. They experience God in worship. Live a good life. Stay out of trouble. What could be better than this? And Elijah tried to get Elisha to stay at Bethel. The sons of the prophets tried to get Elisha to stay with them at Bethel. Oh, Elisha. Hey, buddy. Look at the blessings. Look at the wonderful worship we've got. Look at the promises of God we're receiving. We have a, oh, man, we've got this powerful, growing, successful church. We have great worship. Nobody leads worship around here like Pastor Larry. I'm telling you, we've got great worship. We hear the word of the Lord proclaimed with clarity and with power and anointing, especially every time we get a guest speaker in. We have, we have great benevolence ministries to the community. We, we have a thriving missions outreach. Why not stay at Bethel? Why not be content here? But Elisha had seen the possibility of something more, something greater. And over and over he said to Elijah, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they continued on to Jericho. Now, the city of Jericho, you remember, was the first place Israel conquered after crossing into the promised land. Jericho was the first fruits victory. And in the economy of God, the first fruit always belongs to the Lord. The first fruit is set apart. It's separated as holy unto the Lord. When you read about the conquering of Jericho, there's, there's a side story that is told alongside the main event. It's the story of Achan. Does anybody remember Achan? Six of us, so okay. When, when Israel went against Jericho, the Lord, you remember, told them not to take any of the spoils of the battle for themselves. Silver, gold, precious gems, anything of value, all was to be brought to the Lord. All the goods of Jericho were considered accursed to the people of Israel because they were to be set aside to be given unto the Lord. 
Achan, you remember, took some of the valuables of the city and hid them in the dirt under his tent. And because of his sin, people died when they went to battle against the little tiny town of Ai. That should have been a, just a walkover, a pushover. But, but, but they routed the Israelite army because of the sin of Achan. I don't have time to tell you about how important one person in a congregation can be. Just, I want to, but I got to move on. Gilgal speaks of removing the reproach of sin and becoming part of God's covenant family. Bethel speaks of your worship and the blessings that flow from being in the presence of the Lord. Here at Jericho, you go a step further and you make a full surrender of all the things you possess. You commit everything to the Lord. If you want to receive the power of the Spirit that you need to make it in this life, then not only must you commit your life to the Lord, but you must also commit everything that is in your life to Him. Here's what I've discovered. You want God's power. You want God's blessing. But you have a hard time surrendering the stuff that is dear to you. And when I say the stuff, I'm not just talking about your wallet. I'm not just talking about your house. I'm talking about your friends, too. I'm talking about your, your family members. I'm talking about... Come on, somebody. It's this whole idea of first fruits. It's this idea of being completely sold out and dedicated to the Lord. See, you want the blessings, but you're not sure you want God to bring them His way. You want it on your terms, not God's terms. I'm already this deep into it. I might as well just go on a little further. Why, why, do, why do you think the Lord speaks so strongly about people withholding the tithe from Him? It's because it's the first fruits. It's under the ban. It belongs to Him. And when you take the tithe and use it on yourself, you're stealing from God. Oh, no, 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 no. You're not taking stuff from him. It isn't about the money. But you're robbing him of the opportunity to bless you. You're robbing him of the opportunity to show how great and how powerful he can be in your life when you fully trust him. That, that tithe is holy to the Lord. And when you try to lay hands on that which is holy, you defile it. At Jericho, you don't just offer a tenth, a tithe to God. The surrender that makes room for the power is when you bring everything you have, everything you are, everything you hope to be. You bring him your relationships. You bring him your desires and your aspirations. You bring him your job, your career. You bring him your talent. You bring him your possessions. You bring him your recreation. You bring him yourself totally and completely. In the, in the Jericho surrender, 
You say, nothing I am and nothing I have is more important than having you and your anointing and your power in my life. This is what creates the space for you to be filled with the power of the Spirit that you need. See, see, too often, the reason we can't be filled with the power of the Spirit is because something else is occupying the space. You've got, you've got too many things stuck in there, and, there and, and, and there's only so much room. If you want to be filled with the Spirit of God, you're going to have to empty out a few things. You're going to have to divest yourself of some things so that then he can fill it with his presence and his power. It's when things are separated unto God, and then the only way you can touch them again is if God puts them back in your hand to use as a good steward until he calls for it. When you use it, then you use it to the praise of his glory. Now, when I, everybody doing all right? Okay. I'm trying to help somebody today. When I read this story, one of the biggest things that stands out to me is the tenacity of Elisha. He wasn't going to be put off. He wasn't going to be denied. He was determined to have God's power working in his life. See, possibly the greatest temptation you will have in your spiritual life is the temptation to become complacent. At each new level, at each new place of growth, the temptation is to remain where you are and be content. You'll get to a place and say, whoa, isn't this grand and glorious? Man, I've never felt anything like this before. And, and you want to just camp there. Some people get to the place where God's spirit works and the blessings are flowing and the promises are coming. And they begin to think that just because God promised something, then all they have to do is sit down and wait for its arrival. But that's not the lesson from Elisha. Even though something is available from God and even though something is promised by God, you must pursue it. The prophet Isaiah said that nothing is born without travail. It's true that you can't work hard to somehow earn the power of God, but it's also true that you won't receive the Spirit's power if you don't diligently and faithfully and passionately pursue it. So Elisha refused to give up. He crossed the Jordan with Elijah. He made his request for a double portion. He kept his eyes open. The chariots and horsemen of fire came. The whirlwind caught Elijah away. Elisha kept his eyes open. He watched them disappear into the sky. He cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And then he reached down and picked up the mantle of Elijah. The translation is somewhat misleading when it says he picked up the mantle that fell from Elijah. That word really means he picked up the mantle that was thrown down with a purpose. It was intentionally thrown down to Elisha. He met the criteria. Here's the mantle. His, Elisha's faithful pursuit was rewarded. So he picked up the mantle of Elijah. The mantle that represents Elijah's anointing and spiritual power. The same mantle that was thrown over his shoulders when Elijah first called him out of plowing in the field. And with mantle in hand, Elisha went to the bank of the Jordan. Now just get this picture. See him as he rolls up the mantle. He raises it above his head and calls out, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? I have the mantle. Do I also have the spiritual power that goes with the mantle? 
Then he strikes the waters and the waters part. The Bible says that the sons of the prophets who are looking on the scene recognize, ah, the spirit that was on Elijah rests upon Elisha. Listen, listen, listen. People will know when the Spirit of God is working in your life. You're not going to have to wear a big button on your chest that says, I'm anointed with spiritual power. Oh, no. They'll know because you'll walk onto your job Monday morning, and suddenly you'll have a confidence you never had before. And when you encounter obstacles, you'll have a cool calmness under pressure, and you'll be able to look at them and say, okay, we're going to do this, and now we're going to do this, and now I'm going to take care of this. It'll just, it'll just all fall into place. And people around you will see what's going on. And they'll say, I, I don't know how that happened. I'll tell you how it happened. It's because there's a spiritual power and anointing that is placed in your life. See, I'm talking about something being different in your life. I'm talking about a transformation. I'm talking about a new peace and purpose in your family and your home. I'm talking about you having a boldness to talk to people about the word of the Lord and where up until now they've been resistant and they've just turned you off. Suddenly, they're receptive to the words you say. I'm talking about having an authority and a power to push back evil and to bring light and hope to a dark place. Powerful anointing. The sons of the prophet said, I see it, I see it. The spirit that was on Elijah rests upon Elisha. See, what, what, what they didn't know at the time was that it was that same spirit times two. It was a double portion anointing. Check it, you, you check it out. Follow the story of Elisha. You'll discover that he performed twice as many miracles as Elijah. Now watch, at his death, he was one short. But later on, a dead man was hastily thrown into his grave. And when the corpse touched the bones of Elisha, the corpse was resurrected and became the final miracle to make twice as many miracles as Elijah. Double portion anointing. I, I, I wish I had time to talk about those miracles because each one of those miracles illustrates the kind of spiritual power that is available to you when you are passionate for God's power. The, the, the bitter water made sweet. That's the power of God to work in your life. All that bitterness, he'll just heal all of that and make it sweet one more time. The poisonous stew made nourishing, leprosy healed and cleansed. The axe head floating, what in the world? That's the, you, you, you who have gotten dull, you who have lost your energy, you who have lost your cutting edge, you who have, who have just, just, become, just become so passive and, you, and you're on the verge of burnout. I want to tell you, you can recover your cutting edge. The axe head will float one more time with the power of the Spirit of God. <laughs> the, the miraculous multiplication of oil to supply financial need and restore the fortunes of a destitute family. God will do that by the power of His Spirit. Oh, even the restoration of life to a young boy. That young boy represents your future. I want to tell you, God, by his spirit, will resurrect and restore your future. This is the spiritual power God wants to place in your life. It's that force on the inside that is greater than the pressure that's being applied on the outside. This is the power that can be yours when you take the steps and you go through the process and you refuse to give up. Pastor Larry, come here, come here and play and play me down. 
today, today, the Lord wants to place within your heart, your heart, a desire for something more, a holy discontent with the status quo. He wants to put within you a longing for something greater. He wants you to know that this kind of spiritual power isn't just for pastors or missionaries or leaders of large organizations or elders. It's for you right where you are. It's yours if you'll take the steps and follow the process. You begin at Gilgal. I'm talking to somebody, you need to repent of your sin and have the reproach of the world rolled away. And move on to Bethel, that place of worship and promise and blessing. And travel to Jericho, surrender not just all you are, but all you have, and then cross the Jordan. Don't be content until you've received all that God has for you. Keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open for the full revelation of God's glory. And then take hold of the mantle that is intentionally given to you. Then move forward and exercise spiritual power to push back the darkness of evil and the forces that seek to come against the will and the purpose of God. I've, I've got to quit. I, I, y'all stand. That'll, that'll help me quick, quit faster. I, I want to issue an invitation and a challenge. An invitation and a challenge. Some of you have been given powerful promises, but you've become complacent. You've gotten distracted. You've become satisfied with the way things are. You can be a champion for God. You can be a powerful warrior that will put spiritual forces to flight. God's just looking for a surrendered heart. Will you be that person who refuses to give up until you are empowered and anointed by the Spirit. Bow with me, please. If that's you, if you're a candidate for that, you say, that's what I want, that's what I need, I want you to put your hand up. That's me. Online, there in your living room, there in your bedroom, there in your office, wherever you're watching, if that's you, put your hand up. Now put your other hand up and just say, fill me, Lord. Come on, come on, make that your prayer. Make that your heart cry. Fill me, Lord. I've got to have your touch. I've got to have your anointing. I've got to have your power. I've got to have your spirit. I can't do it by myself. Fill me, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you're serious about being, that, being filled with God's power, we'll tell you real quick how it's going to happen. It's going to happen when you get in His presence. It'll happen in His presence. That can happen in this house. That can happen in your house. You just get in His presence. And when you get in His presence, you just watch. Holy Spirit, we begin to breathe on you. Uh, did I happen to mention last week that I hate that clock? (laughs) 
Come, Holy Spirit, into the life of every person who is part of this service today. Come into their life. Fill them to an overflowing with your presence and your power. We need you, Holy Ghost. In this day, we need you like we've never needed you before. What we, what we had yesterday was good, but we can't, we can't go off of yesterday's anointing. We've got to have a fresh touch. We've got to have a fresh power. We have to have a fresh infilling. We have to have a fresh anointing. Fresh. We have to have daily bread, Lord. New manna. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm trying to shut this down, okay? But, but God is at work in somebody's heart right now. Somebody, somebody's receiving something from the hand of the Lord, and I don't want to stop that. Yes. I feel your touch right now, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Touch your people today. Touch your people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Oh, 